Hello folks, and welcome to the 33rd edition of Weber's Whipping Post. I'm Weber, the grumpy old guy, and I'm delighted you took the time to listen. This episode is entitled, Understanding Biden Voters. Today I'm going to talk about the UAW strike, Hunter Biden, Count Dracula, Blinken's absurd trade with Iran, Ukraine spending, and some other material before finishing it off with my latest opinion piece. But first, this episode comes to you from the George Ryan Jr. Insurance Group. Everybody needs insurance, so why not buy from the great folks at George Ryan Jr. Insurance who support programs like mine? You can depend on George Ryan Jr. Insurance, so please go ahead and give George a call at 815-936-0075. That's 815-936-0075. Or look them up on their website and save on insurance at grinsure.com. Hopefully, by the time you hear this message, the United Auto Workers and the Big Three, Ford, GM, and Chrysler, have decided to play nice and settle the dispute. The UAW went on strike Friday the 14th when the union sent 13,000 workers to the picket lines at mid plants in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri. This was the first time in history that the UAW struck all three at the same time. As a side note to this, how old were you when you found out that Chrysler and Jeep is owned by a company named Stellantis? I found out while researching this story. Anderson Economic Group, a think tank from Michigan, estimates a 10-day strike will cost about $6.5 billion. The union wanted a 46% wage increase but by Friday, it reduced that demand to 36% over four years, or 9% per year. At present, full-time workers make 31.77 to 32.32 per hour, so another 9% would bring them to about $35 an hour. Also on the table, though, are additional cost of living adjustments, ending forced overtime, increases to the pension benefits for retirees, and restoration of pension for new hires. Demands came at a bad time, according to the auto companies, due to the shift in electric vehicles. Their words, not mine. Ford and GM have countered with a 20% increase, 5% per year, while Stellantis offered 17.5%. No word yet on the other demands. I'm not a proponent of work stoppages, folk, especially in an economy as shaky as ours right now. Biden has wore us out financially. Business is just too competitive these days, and striking auto plants have too much effect on other businesses nationwide. I prefer some sort of legislation enacted so that public companies might be required to tie wages and benefits to executive compensation and perks. This way, neither side can accuse the other of gouging them. Stellantis, by the way, is not an American company. It's headquartered in Amsterdam. How old were you when you found that out? Joe Biden's delinquent son, Hunter, was indicted last Thursday on what is probably going to be worthless charges and much to do about nothing. You ever wonder, though, if Joe wishes it had been son Bo who had lived instead of this crack-addled reprobate? Hunter was indicted for making false statements while purchasing a firearm and being in possession of a gun by someone who is a user or addicted to a controlled substance. This is particularly embarrassing for Joe, if the man is capable of being embarrassed. Joe has repeatedly called for a crackdown on illegal gun purchases. He even went so far as to sign executive orders preventing sales of illegal guns. He has also stripped gun dealers of their licenses for not filling out 
paperwork properly. To really hone down on his point, he wrote an op-ed this past spring, blathering on about how he had done more than any other president to reduce gun violence while his depraved son was sitting on illegal firearms the whole time. Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz, a pretty smart cookie, predicted in an interview with Newsmax that Hunter will work out a plea deal. He states he will probably get some sort of probationary sentence and never stand trial or do jail time. It's good to have family and friends in high places. So I wrote a piece for a publication called Mystic Owl Magazine that was looking for Halloween submissions. I do this from time to time just for fun and usually get rejected. It doesn't pay anything if I win, which is not really the point of the story. I wrote an essay about Bram Stoker, the writer of the novel Count Dracula. You will recall in the story, considered one of the most famous pieces in English literature, Stoker creates a monster and then kills it off with Dr. Van Helsing. Well, in my story, I posited what if Van Helsing didn't kill off the monster and Dracula followed Stoker back to his home in Chelsea, England? If you want to read it, let me know and I'll send it to you. But doing my research into fabricating the story, I did learn of some issues I felt were troubling. First, Stoker made very little money writing the novel, his mother's predictions to the contrary. He only became famous for this novel after he had passed away. Side note, keep that thought in mind when my new novel comes out. Since Stoker's novel was published in 1897, it has never been out of print. Now, all these years later, comes a so-called academic analysis that have changed the story into one of sexuality and seduction and the corruption of the English womanhood. From there, they then move on to St. Stoker, who is married, was a homosexual, and of course from there became a fear of racial pollution. Other so-called experts indicate Stoker was participating in anti-Semitic stereotyping. Yeah, all that, and I bet Stoker ate little boys for breakfast too, you self-promoting bunch of charlatans. With that bunch, anybody that ever did anything successful was surely guilty of some underlying phobia, be it sexuality or race. There was another interesting point I found about the book Count Dracula when I was investigating. Seems that the original manuscript, which was called The Undead, and written by Stoker himself in England, was found in a barn in northwestern Pennsylvania in 1980. There might even be a book that could be written on how in the hell a manuscript from England got to a barn in Pennsylvania. The book is now owned by Paul Allen, the co-inventor of Microsoft. By now, you've probably heard the United States and Iran made a prisoner swap, exchanging five people held in Iran and five people held in the States. And if you did hear that, you probably also heard we kicked in $6 billion of taxpayer money and that the announcement came on 9-11, kind of a holy date now in America. This sweetheart deal was made by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken of Winken, Blinken, and Nod fame. Well, it really wasn't taxpayer money this time, folks. The money was Iran's and sitting frozen in a South Korean bank. Still, I have to wonder why the hell we didn't get the better end of that bargain instead of somebody else, like always happens now. Why can't we win just one time? Maybe the $6 billion should have been released to the U.S. to recoup some of the money the government showered on the survivors and families of 9-11. There's been a lot of people making a lot of money off that disaster. Just saying. 
A bunch of ultra-liberal Democrats turned up outside the Roosevelt Hotel in Manhattan, New York last week. The Roosevelt is the arrival center for those buses Texas Governor Greg Abbott keeps sending their way. I won't tell you who the Dems were because I have a policy of never mentioning Alexandria Cortez. Anyway, they wanted to see firsthand the problems with all the illegal immigrants there. And, of course, they were taking the side of the non-Americans over the plight of real Americans. Would you expect anything else from a liberal Democrat? As it turned out, though, they got a crowd of hecklers shouting them down with cries of send them back and close the border and respect the Constitution. What one Democrat representative, whose name can't be mentioned, yelled, what we seek to do is to make sure all the resources are necessary and that we are joining with the city and state. Later, she mumbled, there is a consensus here across geographies and states on increased federal resources to cities and municipalities dealing with this issue. That is code speak for, we're here to throw some federal taxpayer money at this situation. I'm sure New York Mayor Eric Adams is ecstatic with this development. He recently told the crowd that New York is struggling with the 110,000 immigrants since last year. He claimed that those kind of numbers will destroy the city. None of these politicians said anything, though, about closing the damn border. Did you see Kevin McCarthy has slapped the impeach card on Biden? Oh, good. Here we go with another impeachment. And when the next president is elected, maybe they will impeach their competitor also. This is the very definition of a banana republic, folks. This time, McCarthy claims to be just looking into the possibility to see if there is really grounds to remove Biden. Well, inquiring minds want to know what the hell they've been doing for the past six or eight months with all those hearings and investigations. When McCarthy moved his mouth, what I heard was, we're going to play more political games and spend a lot more taxpayer money. It just never stops with the swamp monsters, and this is exactly why I wasn't a big McCarthy proponent when they elected him. What he didn't say, and really concerns me, is if they do impeach Biden and toss him on his ear or in the pokey, what the hell are we going to replace him with? Surely it won't be that giggly moron breathing air in the vice president's home. She's next in line, folks, and I'm unaware of a way to bypass her without impeaching her at the same time. Good luck impeaching her. She's untouchable, being a woman first and supposedly black. And who is going to get Attorney General Merrick Garland to actually be dignified and act like an AG should? He's still pouting like a junior high school girl because he didn't get the Supreme Court gig. Depending on who is doing the reporting, we've given somewhere between 60 and $113 billion in taxpayer money to Ukraine thus far. I looked the number up on four different major news outlets. Not only is that a hard number to nail down, but the media also muddles the number up by throwing a lot of other numbers into the total to purposely disguise the real number. But you get the picture. We're pouring billions of taxpayer money into Ukraine. Now contrast those numbers with what the government has given to Maui, Hawaii, a small American island obliterated by a fire. First, they were sent 3.8 million on August the 17th, but were pledged another 95 million on 8.30. I could not find if the money ever got there. To make this even more insidious, Biden offered Hawaiians $700 each on August the 15th. 
What the hell is $700 going to do for those poor people who have lost everything? Think about this. All that money poured into Ukraine compared to the paltry sum issued to American citizens. This highlights anything you ever wanted to know about politicians' real interest. It ain't you and it ain't me. Last week, the wife and I, with friends Dr. and Mrs. Kevin Pinsky, attended a concert at the historic Rialto Theater in Joliet. We went to see what is called the Tribute Band, a group of musicians playing music from one particular band. There are many great tribute bands, and this show we saw was called Australian Floyd, and it was equally outstanding. The Aussies play the music of one of my favorite bands, Pink Floyd, and I would venture to say they do it as well as Pink Floyd did, including the light show and other effects. The only difference is Pink did it with four musicians, whereas the Aussies use six. The tour by the band is called the Dark Side of the Moon 50th Anniversary Tour. They played every note to perfection on one of the most iconic albums in history. We all loved the show. Having third row seats allowed me to sit in front of the drummer, Paul Bonney, who worked his ass off. In front of him, playing some lead guitar duties, as well as all the pedal steel guitar and talk box, was Luke Lepine, new to the group. If I had one complaint, lead singer Chris Barnes, a very good vocalist, had the personality of a rock. He'd sing his part and disappear while guitarists were doing their thing, coming back the very last second it was time to sing again. Australian Pink Floyd was started in 1988 in Adelaide, Australia. They are considered the gold standard tribute bands and were the first to take their act worldwide. If you're a Floyd fan, you'd be doing yourself a favor by attending a future show. Democrat New Mexico Governor Michelle Grisham wrote on X the other day, I'm still waiting on a thank you note from the New Mexico GOP. Way to use my call to action around gun violence as a fundraiser instead of using it as an opportunity for the action to save lives. That mouthful of response came about due to her ridiculous ban of open and concealed carry firearms. I predict this ban will last all the way until the 21st of September when a court tells her to stick her ban in her ear. Let me know what date you pick. Speaking of New Mexico governors, a few years ago, I discovered an Alan Weber spelled the same way on Facebook running for governor. He didn't win, ultimately losing to Susanna Martinez. Since 1983, New Mexico switches parties for governors, alternating between Republicans and Democrats each time. He knew I was conservative, and we ribbed each other until he lost. Then I didn't hear from him again. Hey, Fraser Crane, with original actor Kelsey Grammer, is coming back to TV, and I'm pumped. Love that show. I guess it will be on Paramount Plus TV some 30 years after the first show aired. This time, Fraser has moved out of Seattle and gone back to Boston. Hope he doesn't hook up with Lillian again, though. Didn't like that woman. I have an update on my upcoming book, Roll Me Away. I sent back my final edits last week, and it should be going to press any time this week. If you're interested in knowing more about it, check out my new and improved website at weberswhippingpost.godaddysites.com. Next, click on Alan's Novels and click the blue button for a synopsis. I hope to have it available to purchase online soon, too. This podcast is brought to you by the Jeff and Brandon Chiro at Core Street Ford, now in their 40th year of service in the Kankakee County area. Stop by the showroom at 558 William Latham Drive in Bourbonnais and check out that amazing GT in the showroom. 
You can save up to $6,000 on a selection of Ford 150 pickups. Court Street Ford is open from Monday through Saturday, offering new car and truck sales, pre-owned autos, and vehicle servicing. You can call them at 815-348-7024 or check out their website at www.courtstreetford.com. Order the Ford of your dreams today. And now for my latest commentary, which is called Understanding Biden Voters. Last Thursday, September the 7th, CNN ran an article stating Biden's defenders brush off concerns over his age and approval ratings as polls show warning signs. While it's difficult to trust CNN reporting, and the ratings would suggest most of America feels that way, it was the most recent article found concerning Biden's polling numbers. A CNN poll released the same day has Biden's approval rating at 39%. Another statistic claims nearly 75% of Americans think he's too old to serve another term. Still another poll claimed there was no clear winner in a contest between Biden and Trump for the 2024 election, although Trump is dominating the Republican field right now. There's a lot of unpacking to do with those last three statements, but before I go there, I have to tell you what Kamala Harris said about Biden. She was asked by CBS News about a poll showing 67% of Americans believe Biden is too old to run again. Her response, and I quote, Joe Biden is going to be fine. I think the American people, most of all, want a leader who actually gets things done. You suppose she's being intentionally obtuse? The synonyms for the word obtuse are simple-minded, thick-headed, imperceptive, dull, and slow. You pick the word you think applies. So, 67 to 75% of Americans believe he's too old, yet her response is he's going to be fine and America wants his leadership. Not to be outdone, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren said, voting for President Biden is going to be about preserving our democracy. And I think a lot of Americans are going to show up to do that. Would that be obtuse? White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, not a stranger to being obtuse, piped in last week about Biden's trip to India. No other president has been able to do the job like Biden. But that's their job, I guess, to prop up the Democrat president the good of the country be damned. Whatever it takes to keep Dems in power, huh? What I'm really concerned about, though, is that 39% of the voting population approve of the job Biden has been doing. Or the 32% who doesn't think the sometimes confused octogenarian is not too old to run again. Keep in mind, folks, names are not listed on these polls. They're anonymous. That would indicate these people either A, believe the media hype, oblivious of the controversy surrounding arguably the worst president in history. This is most likely due to not paying attention to the news or reading headlines only, which are called low-information voters. Or B, have some sort of financial gain with Biden in office. Or C, hate Trump so badly they are willing to take the country down, deny Trump taking that office again. These people may be part of the swamp that fear exposure. Or D, hold a portion of all the above-named reasons. If one believes the last election numbers, which I don't, but for ease of illustration, am using to determine the number of people still in Biden's corner. 81 million people supposedly, yeah right, voted for Biden, and another 75 million voted for Trump, which equals 156 million voters. 
if those same 156 million people were to vote again and 39% vote went for Biden, it would mean there are 60.4 million people who have a reasonable opinion of the job Biden is doing. As mind-blowing as that is, it means over 60 million people have no issue screw-ups, such as A, taking foreign cash for favors, including sending billions of taxpayer dollars recurrently to Ukraine, as an example, to cover up for the 10 or $20 million they paid him and his son. That cash going to Ukraine should have been going to the people in Maui or East Palestine, Ohio. B, Sun Hunter's corrupt exploits. C, the Afghan withdrawal fiasco. Or D, the price of energy and the subsequent gutting of our infrastructure in favor of useless alternative energy sources. Or E, the collapse of our southern border and the ensuing fentanyl epidemic killing Americans. Or F, China's unchecked aggression, potential payoffs, and those ridiculous weather balloons. Or G, inflation and debt. Or H, the gutting of our military for wokeness policies. Or I, the onset of dementia, or J, and so on and so on. I can somewhat understand some people having an issue with Trump. He's brash, he's rude, he makes incentive remarks at times. He has no tolerance for wokeness. But there are good alternate candidates from Trump, with Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley. And for that matter, Kennedy is not that bad of an option either on the Democrat side. All five of those candidates mentioned would be much better options than Biden. Yet, if polls can be believed, it would appear over 60 million would vote for Biden again. That defies logic, folks. Hey, that's all I got for you. If you like this podcast, please tell others. If you'd like to advertise on this podcast, please let me know. I could always use more sponsors. Check out my blog, which is at my brand new website, Weber's Whipping Post dot godaddysites.com thanks a million for listening bye now